Welcome to the Get Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Liz McGavro, and I'm obsessed with all things writing, creativity, and telling your stories in your authentic voice, because I believe a good story can change the world. Ever since I was a little girl with my nose in a book, I dreamed of being an author. I wanted to see my books in bookstores everywhere. I wanted to talk about books. I wanted to soak up everything about the craft. My celebrity crushes were mostly authors and I could feel in my bones that the writer's life was my destiny. Fast forward to today. Along with my alter ego, Kate Conti, I'm an Agatha Award-nominated best-selling author with three mystery series, but it wasn't all smooth sailing along the way. I experienced many setbacks, crushing self-doubt, a lot of career detours, and I even lost my voice a few times when I let the world get in my way. Until I learned that writing was so much more than just a skill set you learned and developed over time. It's also an inside job that flourishes when you heal all the wounds that are stifling your creativity, which is no easy task. So if you're a writer of any kind, or if you've always wanted to write but aren't sure where to start, this is the place for you, my friend. We're gonna talk about all things writing process, craft, strategies to help you get writing and stay writing, the daunting world of agents, editors, and publishing, And because I'm using my authentic voice, I'm going to throw in a little woo-woo for you too. So let's get writing, shall we? Get Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Liz McGavro, and I have a different kind of episode for you today. So my guest today is a writer, but I actually wanted to bring her on the show because what she's writing and teaching about helps writers too. So when I connected with her on podmatch.com, which is a really cool site for podcast hosts and guests looking to reach each other, uh, I was really intrigued by what she does. And then I had a conversation with her and I got even more intrigued. So I'm really excited that she is coming on the show. Her name is Ashton Rodenheiser and she teaches visual note-taking and using drawing as a thinking tool. Now, before you hit pause on this episode, don't get hung up on the word drawing, because if you're anything like me, and I did this to her, you're saying right now, I can't draw, so this is not for me. Well, guess what? You don't have to be able to draw. Visual note-taking, I've learned, is a whole thing, you guys. And as Ashton herself says, anyone, whether they're students or boardroom executives, can benefit from visual note-taking. Even if you feel like you can't draw, it's possible to learn basic drawing elements to help you benefit from drawing your notes. And there are studies that support visually capturing notes can lead to improved recall and retention and also can help you focus and connect deeper with information, which is something I think that we writers need, even if we're, you know, not mapping out a presentation for a corporate board, but we're mapping out our books, right? And so sometimes if we can visually see something it's helpful to get our brain trained to where it needs to go next. So here's a little about Ashton. She is passionate about lifting the creative spirit in everyone that she meets. I love that so much. For the past seven years, she's followed her passion for helping people communicate their ideas and combine that with creativity by founding Mind's Eye Creative Consulting. You'll often find her with markers in hand as she's helping bring ideas to life through graphic recording and graphic facilitation practices. 
She's worked with diverse groups from nonprofits to Fortune 500 companies. It may also appear as if she's the silent illustrator in the room, but in fact, she's helping to break down complex concepts and notions into an easily understandable visual language, helping others retain more information while inspiring people to continue practicing her techniques in the world. Over the years, she's brought close to a thousand presentations and conversations to life, either on paper or digitally. I really enjoyed talking to her, and I definitely plan on diving into this more because lately I've been getting the urge to get a giant piece of paper and start visually mapping things out. And I think it's because there are some things in my current work in progress that I still can't quite get my head around and just, you know, staring at them in my index cards and Scrivener are not helping. So it's, uh, it's something that I think might be able to help me untangle things in my own, in my own head, but it doesn't even have to be like a visual map. We also talked about a concept that you may have heard before on this podcast. If you listen to my episode with Jessica Ellicott on plotting, we did the whole sticky note process and we, you know, cover that in this episode too. So I think it can really help all of us writers. I definitely think you should give this a shot after you listen to the episode in whatever way suits you. And without further ado, here's Ashton. Hey, Ashton, welcome to the Get Writing Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Liz, for having me. Happy to be here. Well, this is such a fun topic. Like, I'm fascinated by what you do. So can you tell us in your words about your business, about your book, how you got started, all of that fun stuff? Oh, my gosh. How much time do we have? No, just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, so so I'll just do kind of uh, a short, short version of it. I... Um, about 10 years ago, I was introduced into the world of graphic facilitation as a facilitator, and I've always been very creative. So it was like a beautiful coming together of me having the opportunity to, um, yeah, be creative and have a creative out- output and also combine that with facilitation. And I love helping people move through their own ideas and get information elevated. So it was just this like beautiful coming together of those two worlds. So that was about 10 years ago now. So I have been pretty much professionally um, live illustrating, graphic recording. There's lots of words for it uh, for about 10 years now. And uh, I've been wanting to write, I'd wanted to write a book for a long time. But, you know, it's like, oh, I don't feel experienced enough. I don't know. Like, but I really felt like this skill set should be really easy to learn. Um, and I felt like some of the stuff out there was making it a little bit too complicated for people um, who, especially if they don't consider themselves an artist, but want to experience the benefits of like visual note taking. So I went on this journey to create this book um, back in early 2022 and just released it in June of 23. So yeah, it's been a it's been a wild ride. It's been very exciting. Happy to dive into it more soon. Awesome. All right, so I want to talk about the book itself, but later because first I want to talk about the actual process that you teach and how you do it. And you know, when you and I had talked before, we talked a little bit about how this could benefit. You know, this benefits everybody from you know corporate organizations to you know individuals, right? So, but I'm especially interested in how it can benefit writers and as a creative person who cannot draw a straight line, please help me understand how I can do this. <laughs> so interesting on how you just defined yourself, right? You're like, I'm a creative person that can't draw a straight line. So I guess that's a good thing that you consider yourself a creative person. Cause I feel like that is one of 
sometimes one of the biggest like roadblocks when chatting with people, they go, well, I'm not creative because I can't draw a straight line. And those are two completely different things. Like we can be like, I believe everybody is creative in our own way. It's just a matter of how, like our preferred way of expressing that creativity. And oftentimes we don't have opportunities, um, especially like in the workforce and jobs to be able to express that creativity. So that was interesting. I'm glad you, you said that. So, <laughs> well, I mean, um, I better be somewhat I, creative cause I write books. So, but I feel like I'm no. creative with words, but, um, and I don't know if this was like a mindset thing. Cause honestly I grew up with, uh, it's embarrassing to say, right. I'm still like dragging things around that my mother had, had told me, but you know, my mother and I kind of bonded when I was a kid over like the fact that she could never draw. And she would always tell me, you're just like me. You can't draw either. You have no artistic talent. Right. right? So I grew up thinking, Oh, I have no artistic talent. I'm really good with words and I can be creative in that right. medium, but ask me to draw something. And I will, I used to have panic attacks going to art class. <laughs> Wow. Wow. That's so fascinating. Yeah. Well, cause creativity is not limited to like a visual, um, you know, drawing or painting a visual medium like that. Right. Creativity is like so expansive. Like there's so many different ways to be creative. So yeah, no, I think I, I used to like run an art at night festival too. And I would try to find people of all different creative backgrounds to showcase. Like we've had like, you know, the closest, like we had like a writing thing and we had storyteller that would, you know, she would make up stories on the spot, you know, like there's so many different ways to be creative and it doesn't have to always be a visual art output of like what we would experience. And, and I think we almost have done ourselves a disservice because that's what people default to. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, I'm not creative because I can't draw. So, and I find most people I talk to, they have this experience from childhood, um, and actually name it right in like the first page of my book, actually, because it's so common that we have these experiences in childhood, whether or not it's like a parent or a friend, mine was a teacher that told me I was painting wrong. Right. And those things stick with you. And I'm not sure what it is about when our creativity is squashed when we're younger. We, it just stays with us. And some of us find it later. Um, like myself, I sort of put the pen down for a while and then picked it up um, in my early 20s. But, you know, some people just never come back to it and then they go, oh, I'm not creative. So, yeah. And it's really interesting because like this is so I have um, a membership for writers and, you know, I created that as a way for people who had lost that, that writing creativity, right. To come back to it or yeah. to, who, or maybe who had never picked it up to, to start and have a place where they could start to explore that and learn some techniques like, you know, journaling and meditation and things that helped me do that and also have a place where they could actually feel free to write and be accountable and all of that. Um, but it's, it's so interesting, like how we bucket things, right? Because like I said, for me, yeah. I, I know I'm creative with words, but I also, so I have a block when it comes to anything that sounds like art. I have a block when it comes to dance because I got kicked out of dance class when I was a kid. Right. So I can <laughs> see myself in a little creative writer bucket, but I don't feel right. like I can do it in these other areas. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how we like, you know, I think we put ourselves in these boxes and then they're putting, we're kind of, we're put in that box by somebody else. So yeah. And then we just sort of walk around in, in our life and world saying, oh, I can, or I can't do this or whatever. So yeah, I know that's really interesting. Um, 
but yeah, no, I'll, I'll answer your question, um, from a few minutes ago around like, what can artists do or what can writers be doing to benefit from, I call it like visual communication, right? So the way that I started out in part of my career as a facilitator was feeding back with groups of people in words, what was happening, what I was hearing from people. And then I trans transferred over when I learned about the graphic facilitation side into doing that to pictures. So, um, it's not necessarily always about like being an artist or knowing, even knowing how to draw anything, but you can use like visual. I feel like at its core is like around, it's a visual communication. So how can you, it might be communicating to others, but in this sense, it could be communicating for yourself and trying to like break down the complexity of a plot or characters or what have you. So instead of, um, you know, it's just another like option, like, you know, you can type all these things out for sure, but, you know, think about different ways that you could get creative in that creative process and do that by putting pen to paper a little bit. Like it might be throwing a big piece of paper on the wall and like literally, you know, writing out the, what's going to happen and then what's going to happen next and then squares and arrows and pointing and, or how a character develops over time or some traits about them. It could be a big piece of paper on a wall, or it could be something as simple as little cue cards. And you have a little stack of cue cards that this is that character. You get a little stack of this is the plot. And then sometimes like I even do different things like that too. When I'm trying to like, like when I was trying to figure out how to write the book, I put a piece of paper on the wall and I like knew the general, um, chapters ish that were going to be it. But I just sort of put blocks, um, like large squares on the paper. And then I had sticky notes and I wrote down all what was going to go in what chapter, like each individual idea. And then I put it in what chapter I think it was going to go in. But then by having it on sticky notes, I could move things around. Right. Or I had like larger sticky notes for the header or like the, the chapter title, but then I ended up moving a chapter ahead, you know, so I was able, and then I just sort of moved them all around. So it wasn't like, um, you know, a still image that I like created and I was stuck with it. Right. So like, I feel like when you're doing these types of processes, like nothing's precious, right. You have to be able to give yourself permission to get rid of things or change things in a moment's notice. So if you do it in like little cards or sticky notes or pieces of paper, you can just swap out, you know, it gives you that opportunity just to sort of like be playful in the process too, and be able to kind of literally stand back and look at the bigger picture and try to see it from that outside perspective, like when I was writing my book, I had to do that a couple of times. I had to just, like, I was so in it that I was like, okay, I just need to like zoom out and, and just sort of write it all out on some notes and like, you know, use little things like little arrows and lines and little squares and little people and like all these things to just sort of help me step back and visualize it a little bit too. So there's a few things to, to kind of play around with. Okay. So I like that you, so it's funny because I have a friend who is excellent at plotting. And so I never would have put this in the same camp as what you're talking about, but you are literally talking about the same things, right? So, um, this friend of mine, she helps me plot and she 
she's a big fan of the sticky notes. So when we get together over FaceTime for a plotting session, we put everything on sticky notes and then we have, and like, she's got her big board set up and, you know, I'm on the video and she's putting up all the things and then we're moving them around together. And so I didn't know that's what I was doing. (laughs) You were already doing it and didn't even know, you know, like you can get into like what I do when I'm drawing, you know, I'm like literally drawing things out and stuff. Like you could go that route if you want, but just like at a high level, like what can you do to create like this like virtual sticky uh sticky I can literally have like all drawer of all my supplies and I have one just dedicated to sticky notes because mm-hmm. that's how important they are. Um because it allows things to not be precious, yeah. right? You can just it's it feels it doesn't feel scary or whatever if you put something on a sticky note and you know you can just throw it away. Like you can just toss it and replace it with something new. Um whereas sometimes when we sit, you know, if you think about it from like when I'm doing my work, like you can't just like throw it away. It's a little harder. Like if you're in the middle of a illustration of a presentation and you can just like start over, it's pretty hard to do that. But you know, nothing ever has to be precious in those situations when you're trying to visualize and see. And sometimes typing things out in just big, long documents doesn't always do it justice. You know, like if that works for you, that's awesome. But you know, it's just a doing it in a visual way is just another, you know, like tool, what's that cliche, like tool in your toolbox is just another thing that you can take into consideration. And you can try, like when I was writing my book, I tried so many, like I did lots of different um, visual ways to do it. You know, like when I needed to step back and get that bigger picture, sometimes I wouldn't do it on a big piece of paper on a wall. I would just take like, you know, um, just multiple pieces of paper on my on my desk and just sort of like write it all out again. So I w- knew I wasn't missing anything and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's a good point. Cause I'm like, for me, it's, I don't know. It's so weird because I, sometimes I have trouble with the, like, even if I'm trying to look at it in a smaller, um, batch than the whole book. Right. Cause I, you know, yes, when you look at the whole book, it's, it's daunting if you don't know what's happening, but when you have yeah. some things already, some plot points and some storylines going around in your head and you're trying to untangle those, like talk to me about how this process can help you actually do some of that untangling. Because for me, like, I know sometimes I get really wrapped up in the, in the, it's all going around in a circle in my head and I can't pull the pieces out to make sense. And so even when I do try to sit down and put it on sticky notes, sometimes I get like kind of wrapped up in the, yeah, I don't know what's happening next kind of thing. And I can't get out of that mindset. So how does this help you? If you like really let yourself do it, how does this help you untangle your own problems? (laughs) Yeah. I think like taking it chunk by chunk can be really helpful and not, I I know maybe I'm like talking more from a mindset perspective now, but trying not to get into that space of like, and when you feel overwhelmed, I find that sometimes it's just reiterating to yourself what it is you already know. It's like, I know I already know this, but I just need to like see it again in a different form. I think sometimes that can be helpful. Um, Even just, you know, instead of doing it on a piece of paper or a whiteboard on the wall, maybe you do it in small cue cards or something just to sort of like shift up your thinking, you know what I mean? So, um, having different modalities of how you want to help visualize something can be helpful. Um, you can sometimes like you can use something as simple as like color coding things 
you know, like here, like everything in blue are like the big main points. I'm only going to focus on the big main points right now and not even worry about the details. Oh, I like that. And then when maybe, you know, maybe when you're in a better headspace, you know, I'm just thinking like a giant timeline, right? So you've got your big timeline, your big main points and is in one color or one, you know, maybe you do like icons or something to represent a chapter or whatever it is. And then maybe, okay, when you're in a different headspace, you're like, okay, I'm ready to tackle some of the supporting details in the first half or the first chapter or two or something like that. And just kind of chunk it in, in that. And then, yeah, you could color code them based on characters or what have you. So you could have like a whole sort of like timeline of different characters and, and how the plot is going based on um, like different icons and things. And then, yeah, if you use sticky notes and things, you can change and move things around, but our, like the digital sticky note board, like you were just talking about is a nice way to do it. Um, too. Like the tactileness I think is really can help us access stuff in our brain that we are not always used to because we're like often so on the computer all the time. Um, so it's nice to be like, have something tactile, but like the digital sticky note boards and stuff too, you know, color coding in and, and, and like trying to give yourself permission that you have to figure it all out, like at that moment and just be like, okay, I'm just going to focus on this one and I'm going to visualize it and I'm going to give it lots of space. Right. I'm not going to crowd everything, like all of these ideas together. I'm going to have one giant piece of paper is going to be just that one chapter. And then the next giant piece of paper is going to be just that next chapter or whatever. Um, giving yourself as much like space and paper, like go to a print shop and get like a giant roll of paper and just like put it on your wall or what have you. Um, sometimes like I like whiteboards, but there's still a constraint, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, so I feel like you have to fit everything on there. Um, you know, so have like a, a rolling paper that you can just sort of like, I can now you can just add another piece and go to the next section um, as things, as you're trying to kind of dive into those a little bit more, some of those details. Is that helpful, you think? Definitely. Definitely. I I, I love getting different ideas of how to kind of do this because you're right. Like I tend to just go straight to the computer and, you know, like I use a... Yeah. Um, a program for writers called Scrivener, where it does have the ability to have scenes on separate little note cards and you can color code them and you can move them around in the, in the uh, platform and and all of that. But um, I don't know, something about being in front of the computer, I do feel like, oh, I have to do this right. Or I have to do this, you know, well, the first time and it's, it is a little constricting. So yeah. And like, you know, it allows you when you kind of have something more physical or more tangible, whether it's a small piece of paper or something big on the wall, just allows you to kind of like look at it and you're not feeling that energy of a computer that you're like, oh, I need to be. I feel like computers equal productivity, yeah. right? So like we're here, we're like, okay, I'm on it. Like I got to do, like I got childcare or I got, you know, I got a meeting in an hour. I got it. Like I got to bang out some work here, but I find when we can step away from, from the screen, it goes in just that small choice can kind of give ourselves permission to not have it all figured out right away. Yeah. Whereas like, if you're like, Oh, well, I'm in this program. I need to figure out all these pieces and move them around. I'm like, Oh, can just add a little bit more stress. But if you can give yourself permission to put pen to paper a little bit and just sort of step back and look at everything, um, can maybe potentially help take down some of that overwhelm or that like feeling of like what is productive in that moment. Like I feel like we equate our product productivity differently if we go, oh, well, I'm going to just give myself 
permission to just like look here for 20 minutes or even 15, that actually might be more productive than, or even like looking at the wall for like an hour, it might be more productive than using your computer for three hours trying to like, quote unquote, figure it out right then and there. Right. Yeah. And a lot of it is about, you know, the idea of giving yourself permission to do something different or to, you know, God forbid, have fun with some kind of work project. Yeah, you know, I was about to mention that. Giving fun, sticky notes are fun. Get your paper pens. Give yourself permission to use your favorite pens. Yeah. And, yeah. and I love that you talked about mindset because that's a big part of um, what I talk about in my membership for writers because, you know, I do, I hear people say things all the time like, um, you know, oh, I don't think I can do this very well or I don't, I don't know like how to do X or, you know, and I think yeah. if you keep repeating things like that to yourself, you're, you're sort of limiting what you, what you actually can do because you've already got it in your head. Like me saying, I can't, I can't draw. So I, Ashton, I couldn't possibly do this graphic recording because I can't draw and just cutting myself off at the knees like that. Right. Um, so how do you, do you work mindset into what you teach people when you teach them how to do this? Yeah. I, I, I learned when I started teaching it that like the things that seem like common sense are not common sense. They're like things that you learned so way in the beginning that it's just like part of your DNA, I think. Um, but like I, I have a community too. And one person in there, she was struggling and she come, she made a, a message in there and I said, okay, take a step back and because I think she was feeling pressure to draw so much in her sketch noting and in her visuals. And I'm like, okay, take a step back and just 95% words, 5% images or drawings or like little drawing elements, like little lines, little squares, like keep it. I was like, okay, I think people get this notion that, that they want to do visual note taking or sketch noting. It's like a total 180 and it doesn't have to be, it's just like small little changes over time. And, um, yeah, like uh, I, mindset is everything for everything in my life. Like, I think for me more so when I'm building the business, like I equate my success to this point about how I think, like I really had to the, probably the biggest one. And I'm, I'm not sure if your folks will relate to this about like the starve is arting mentality. You can't make money as an artist. You can't make money as a writer. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like these jokes. And I'm like, no, like I didn't want to believe that anymore. So I had to work ridiculously hard on how I think about, um, what is success or wealth look like for me? You know, what does a wealthy person look like? It looks like me, like really trying to, um, change the narrative in my head around everything for sure. Like even just getting to the point where I felt like I could write a book, like I know enough was, was a mind, huge mindset step in itself. Yeah. But I wouldn't have gotten to that point if I hadn't done all your mindset work before that. So yeah. So how did you change that narrative? I love that. Cause I, I talk about this a lot, like, and, and you know, I grew up with that mentality too. I remember my father told when I, when I announced that I was going to college to major in English and that I was going to be a writer. Um, my parents were, they looked a little concerned and my dad said, well, that's great, but, um, you, you should, you should be a, you should have a backup plan to be a teacher. And I knew I didn't like, like a teacher yeah. in the sense of like classroom teacher, like that was what, what 
both my parents did. And, you know, while it's funny, I did sort of end up as a teacher, but not in the way that they, I, I assume had, you know, anticipated I would, but, um, I just remember hearing that and thinking like, well, I don't believe them and I'm going to just go do what I want anyway. And I did, but I still think I ended up believing them a little bit. So how do you, how did you get that narrative out of your head? Um, well, I'm really proud of you. That's awesome that you're like, oh, I'm going to do it anyways. That's so awesome. <laughs> like, cause most people wouldn't like, I, I don't even think, I don't even think I even got to that point, to be honest with you. Like going to art school wasn't even an option because it was so ingrained in me that like, you can't, like, it's a waste of time. Like, and I would hear my parents talk about other families who their kids go to art school. They're like, have fun with that. Like it wasn't even an option Mm -hmm. for me. Like I didn't even consider it. Um, which I think, you know, there's, I'm, I am happy where I am now. And I don't know if I would have found what I found now by going to art school because I found it in a different way, but you know, like you never know, like, I think it would have been a nice, a nice opportunity for me. But so the fact that you did it anyways, I love that. (laughs) Um, so I honestly, part of it was, like once I, once I just, like I have the personality that once I decide to do something, I'm going to do it. Like I have sheer determination and, and I had a conversation with, um, an art festival organizer a couple years ago. Um, and she said, being naive is not a bad thing. And we had this conversation about it and it's totally reframed that sort of naivety is actually a good thing because you, if you had all the information, you wouldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> if you knew how hard it was going to be, you probably wouldn't do it. So I think like being in that space of like unknowingness, but like, you know, optimism is like the most beautiful place to be in because you're not hardened by all the negativity that you know, you might face in the future. So, um, I think part of, yeah, part of me just has this like sheer determination and I was looking for, um, I was looking for proof. So I went to a conference in 2015 and that's, I, I told myself I was going to leave that conference saying either I'm going to do this as like a side thing when someone asked me, or I was going to go all in. And I went to that conference basically looking for proof. I'm like, are there people, cause it was people for like doing this work from all over the world. And I sought out people at that conference and I attended some of the workshops of people like building businesses and being really successful at it. I was like, okay, there is people, there are people in the world doing this thing, making a great living, doing their own business. Like it's possible. I just needed, I like, I, I could see myself like, maybe I'll be where they are in like five years or 10 years or 20 years. Like, I don't know, but I just looked for the proof that was around there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so folks that might be listening to this, like look for like the Liz's and like the people that you like would be looking up to that they've done it. So it's possible. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't mean you're going to have the same journey as them. You know, your writing might be totally different. Like that's fine. But like, it is possible to be a successful writer or artist or whatever, because people have done it like it. And I think it's just having the sheer determination 
to be one of those people and you're like, and kind of taking no for an answer. And I think one thing that I did really well in the beginning was I got hard into rejection. So I, I really struggled with it for a long time, getting like so many no's constantly, but you kind of get over it. Like it doesn't hurt so much in after a while, like after you get like hundreds or thousands of no's, the thousandth and one doesn't hurt as much as the first one. Right. So yeah, I think it was just a big combination of a few of those things for me. Um, I really wanted to, and I, and the education, the formal education I did have, I knew I didn't want to do that anymore as, um, as a career. And I, I love the idea of like, what would it look like to work for myself and have, you know, flexibility. And it was, I was kind of chasing the dream a little bit, but yeah, looking for that proof. And then like reading millions of books about mindset and business and wanting to do it. And I would also try to like seek out people that were doing it in a really genuine, authentic way and not like, you know, yucky sales, like the, you know, traditional Mm -hmm. weird sales tactics. And I'm like, that's just not my jam. So I would seek out and find books and YouTube channels and, and coaches and consultants and stuff who had that philosophy too. So I'm like, I can do this. And also like be taken seriously as a business person and do it in a way that feels like really authentic to who I am as well. So there's a few things hopefully for you. (laughs) No, and I love what you said about the proof. So, um, I don't know if you follow Gabby Bernstein, but I've been following her meditations for years. Yeah. So she talks about driftwood, which is, it's the same thing. Right. And I, and this was important to me to reframe and it wasn't, I, I think I, I really picked up on it. Like she talked about it a lot in the sense it was shucks about it, you know, in, the, in anything you want to manifest. If you see, you know, for example, if you're looking for a relationship and you see and you're, you're single and you see like this happy couple and your first instinct is to get jealous but her, her right. point is to reframe that this is the driftwood that you're seeing that it's possible for you because it's yeah. possible for these people. Right. And so I think that's mm-hmm. a little bit of the same of what you were saying. And I think that's cool. And that yeah. has definitely helped, um, helped me with mindset stuff as well, but yeah, it's tough. And it's a, it's like a full-time job to work on mindset. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you feel oh, that way, but <laughs> yeah, it is. Honestly, it is like, and I read like a ton of books on money because money was just like such a tough conversation I had or like growing me up too. and it just was not instilled in me that uh, it, it's just, is a mess. It is for most people, I think. And, and so I actually like love talking about money <laughs> because I feel like we need to have these conversations to know like what is possible for people. Like, you know, like how many people have said to me, you know, when I was writing my book and when the book came out, I was like, well, you're not going to make any money on it. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't think that's true, but that's like most people's perspective or perception of the world. And, and, um, yeah, I, it, it's a, yeah, I'm sure we could talk a whole, I know we could do a whole separate podcast on, on mindset and business. But, Maybe we'll have to do that. You'll have to yeah. come back. <laughs> Yeah. It's a big topic. It's a big topic, which I really love talking about, but yeah, to try to like break down some of the tabooness, if that's a word. Yeah, no, for sure. (laughs) 
around money and, and things like that. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. So when you started your business, like what kinds of, um, people were drawn to you at first? Like what, who, what types of people were you helping the most? Well, when I first started, um, I, yeah, I like really had to teach myself all business skills, all, all of it, all of the business skills. And, and I just really leaned in at the time on my existing relationships I had with other facilitators. So for those first few years, you know, just a couple of jobs a year, basically where with other facilitators and pet people that I met, um, at some networking events and things. And it was more so within the community development space, um, community conversations. And I worked with a facilitator friend around like youth engagement, youth development for an organization that he did work for. So it was more so those kinds of opportunities were more in the community, which I loved, which was really great. Um, but I wasn't being uh, oftentimes like my work begates more work for me. So when I show up and I do my thing, usually there's a couple of people in the audience that are like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. You should come and do our thing. Um, and that wasn't happening fast enough for me. I was, because I wasn't showing up, and up enough in larger community events where I could be seen by people, it just, it was very slow those first few years. So um, yeah, I just decided at one point I was like, I need to just put myself out there. Cause I basically had a secret business for the first few mm -hmm. years because I was open for business, but no one really knew because I wasn't talking about it. I wasn't putting myself out there. So once I, it was around that time at that conference. And then I had just had my second child and I was like, okay, I'm going to like I'm not going to have a secret business anymore. I'm going to actually try to figure this out and do this. So just really started reaching out to people and trying to be in more spaces and more events so that I would be seen more and then leveraged those experience to try to get similar clients. Mm. Yeah. So do you, so as you expanded the people who need your services, have you found it expanded into, do you do a lot of creative types? Do you do a lot of business? Like how, how's, what's the audience or what's the client breakdown? Yeah, I do a lot of conferences. I think they're kind of, they're like the easiest sell to be honest with you because they have lots of information and that information, hopefully they want people to remember it. So, and, you know, I think it's, you know, the biggest bang for people's buck when they go, okay, well, we can have her come and everybody can experience it and then I get the graphics afterwards and stuff like that. So I, I definitely do a lot of conference work. Um, and I have a lot of clients in like the technology space. Um, I do like a lot in cybersecurity. Hmm. Um, That's cool. and yeah, so I, but I'm not limited to, to any particular industry, which is really fun because I get to learn about so many different things, you know, in one given week, I might be like doing three different industries or something. So, um, yeah, I get to be in a lot of those different spaces, but I, I still do, um, and love to do more facilitated type sessions. So I'll be the graphic facilitator there. I might not be speaking a whole lot, but I am a little bit more embedded into it where there's like a group of people coming together, you know, to talk about something instead of just like a conference speaker and then here's a graphic and then another speaker and here's a graphic. Um, I do love those opportunities that get to be a little bit more collaborative mm. in nature. Uh, so yeah, I find myself in some of those types of situations too, but yeah, I'm not really kind of 
you know, I, I certainly, because I do so much tech, I tend to get more tech stuff, but I'm not kind of like limited to any in particular industry, which is kind of fun yeah. too. So does the topic that you're, that you're working on, uh, kind of define how you bring that to life, you know, in a, in a graphic record so is it graphic recording and sketch noting? Is it the same thing? It's just called different things. Yeah, there's lots of different terms, unfortunately. It's like our industry can't come yeah. to consensus. But graphic recording is a very common one. But I've actually been using more uh, live illustration okay. because the liveness is kind of important mm, to it. Yeah. And illustration, I think, is because people understand illustration more than a recording because then they're like, well, what's a recording? Right. And then they go, oh, you're like the court artist. I'm like, no, I'm not the court artist. <laughs> So that might be actually kind of fun to go do it in a courtroom for like a murder case or something, right? <laughs> yeah. So I, so I've actually been using live illustration a little bit more. Graphic facilitation does feel good too, because it does lean on the facilitation aspect, which is really important. Um, and then sketch noting is actually a term that was coined by a guy named Mike Rohde back in 2006, I believe, um, who was kind of doing this stuff, but I, I don't know how he kind of came to create the term, um, but that term kind of has taken off a bit. So uh, that's the one that I use the most when it comes to personal note taking. So sketch noting, I usually use as like a personal note taking form. And that's sort of what I teach to people if they want to learn it for themselves. And then sort of graphic facilitation, graphic recording, live illustration is more of like, you know, hire me as a professional to do this for you on a larger scale. Okay. So the kind of the two worlds there. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So then, so back to my question. So if you're, if you're doing a cybersecurity thing, does the topic mm -hmm. itself kind of dictate how you bring that to life versus how you would a tech conference or, you know, I'm just making up the industries now based on what you said, but does it, <laughs> or does it just happen in the moment? I'm really curious. Yeah, everything is, it's very, it is actually a very intuitive process and it's like I have, if you just imagine it as another language, so I'm not straight interpreting because the, the added part is like you're listening. If you think about like a sign language interpreter or, a, or a, a voice interpreter of some kind, like at an event, they're just straight interpreting, but the added element to this is the thinking part or the making sense part, which is what I call it. So you're listening, you're making sense of what you're hearing, then you're outputting. But the output and the capturing part, I got, I have a bank in my head. Like I know how I've captured things before. I have like probably hundreds or thousands of like icons that I could lean on. I have like visual metaphors. So when someone says like building a bridge or vision or collaboration, like more, not just like bicycle, like, okay, I could draw bicycle, but how do you draw collaboration or how do you draw visionary or like those more, um, those types of words, uh, you know, I have, I have a sense of how I can kind of bring in uh, how to visualize those types of 
concepts too. And then I just lean on all of my experience of how that, that all gets connected on a page. So the graphics or the icons might look a little different from industry to industry. Like a lot of tech, they might be like a person holding a, a computer that then has an icon or something coming out of it or like information that they, that the speakers spoke about, you know, whereas like a medical conference obviously is going to have like a doctor with a little, you know, stethoscope around his, uh, um, neck or what have you. So like the, some of the iconography might be a little bit different, but I still use the same, uh, process of listening, making sense of what I'm capt what, what, what's, what I just listened to and then capturing that. So I'm like, I'm balancing those key ideas with supporting details. I'm always making decisions like, what do I capture? What do I leave out? You know? So this, like it's, you know, whatever the stat is, um, you know, we make 60,000 decisions a day and I'm like a graphic recorder probably makes 160,000 decisions a day or something. Cause in a, any given hour, you're basically asking yourself these constant questions. Like, is this important enough? I don't know. Let me, let me capture it and, you know, and then weave it into this thing and what have you. So, um, it is also very, uh, like an intuitive process and try to like lean in on Bob Ross's, um, you don't make mistakes. You make happy accidents. It's like, okay, if I captured something a little funky, like, can I turn it into something? Cause I might not have time to try to get rid of it if I'm uh, doing it on paper or erase it if I'm doing it digitally. So, um, yeah, that's sort of like a little peel back into my head mm. a little bit, but it, it is hard to describe until you do it for yourself. Yeah. And then you, oh yeah, I would have liked to do this differently or, oh, this got really crowded. How could I space this out better next time and what have you? So, yeah. And so when, when you present one of these after a, an event or, you know, to, to maybe a person who's learning how to do this and you're, you're working with them one-on-one, what is the, what's the response? Like, how do they find that their understanding of, you know, whatever it is, whether it's something on the, of their own, they're trying to untangle or something that they're listening to that they're trying to understand, like, how does it help them get to a different place? Yeah. So I find people have a hard time articulating for themselves why they like it. So, you know, I'll get people at an event in person or like online, if we're chatting through like a Slack group or something, they're like, oh my gosh, this is so great. But sometimes they have a hard time articulating why they like it or why it's resonating with them. So then if I have the opportunity, I can, that's when I can kind of talk about how our brains make connections and how, um, you know, most people, even though technically learning styles are debunked, people still use them. And most people consider themselves a visual learner, right? Most of us think in pictures, like there's all these sayings out there, you know, seeing the bigger picture and pictures worth a thousand words. Like there's sayings for a reason, you know, so there's not a ton of science and studies that have done on this very particular way of working, but there's certainly lots of studies um, that back up how we pair when we pair visual with information, how that solidifies deeper in our, in our memory. Right. So, you know, I might not always have the opportunity to talk a little, and I'm definitely not like a brain science expert when it comes to this stuff, but, um, just even anecdotally when people come up to me and, and say that it resonates with them and they want to take a picture and all of that good stuff, like, 
you know, it's resonating with them for a reason, even if they aren't sure how to articulate mm, it. For sure. It's also very good for my ego. So <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. yeah. No, totally. So then you had to take that knowledge and that, you know, intuitive nature of what you do and turn that into a book so people can mm. do this on their own. So how did you, how did you approach that? Yeah. So I had decided early on because what I felt was missing was beginner, beginner, beginner stuff. And what was being shown in the community for people who were new were examples from people that have been doing this like myself forever. And I can see, I could see how intimidating that would be for people. Um, you know, like, oh, you can create this sketch note and here's an example of one, but it's one that someone has drawn for 10 years, you know, like someone who is highly experienced. And I was finding that disconnect between people just getting started and, and wanting people to have the benefit of this skill set. Um, that's really not that hard to learn. And, but without having so many, um, you know, fancy examples kind of thrown in their face of like, see, you can do it. Look at this. And they're like, people look at that and they're like, I can't do that. Right. So, you know, once I kind of decided that, you know, I saw that gap uh, for people and yeah, once I sort of decided, okay, I'm going to write like real, real beginner content that helped because it wasn't like I was just teaching sketchnoting as like this wide range thing. I think that would be, would have been like, too overwhelming. And I probably wouldn't have even written the book because it would have been too overwhelming. But once I kind of decided that I wanted to write like super, super handholdy beginner book, um, that, and then I just started kind of diving into what does that look like? What do people need to actually start with? And, you know, I wish I would have made notes when I, when I first started, but I did try to go back and remember because I didn't come, even though I was very creative, I, I've never really taken any formal art classes. I've just been sort of self-taught. So, you know, I had to go back and go, okay, what, what did I have to learn? Cause I had the facilitation, like the thinking and the making sense of stuff down, but I had to teach myself the drawing part and that's what people want to learn. So I start off, uh, in the book, just teaching some real basic, like here's a line, here's a square, here's, here's now here's an arrow, like really simple, basic drawing stuff. And we don't even get into drawing anything until like at the very end of the book, because I feel like you need to get some quick wins and get people feeling like they can do it. And it doesn't have to be scary. And all you really need to do to get started is draw like a line, literally, <laughs> um, that it's, uh, that's sort of, once I sort of started that process, then it seemed to work pretty good. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Cause it, it's, um, it definitely for me, right. Like I told you before, I'm, I feel like I'm not, I can't draw. So for me, it seemed overwhelming, but then after we talked that first time and after you had, you know, kind of outlined what you did and how you did it, I, I did start trying to, I didn't use pictures because, you know, that would have just made me stop. Um, but you know, I did start trying to break down some of my I had a story that had multiple storylines that was very, you know, it was tripping me up a lot. So I had to, I, I took a big piece of paper. I had, you know, three different, um, corners of it or pieces of it that I was devoting to each of the storylines. And then I was just trying to, you know, put, even if it was just putting people in a little box and like drawing lines to connect them to the other 
storyline where it needed to and like where the timing was. And so, you know, I don't know how, um, I, I, I'm very critical of myself, so I don't know how good I did on the first try, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back and keep playing with it. Cause I do think it's, uh-huh. it did help me start to sort out some of my, um, my blocks. Yeah. And it's like not precious. Like you could abandon that, yeah. that way of working and then you could always come back yeah. to it later. You know, you could do like half the book that way. And then you're like, eh, I think I'm good now. Or like, you just like, you want to shift and that's fine too. Like you don't have to like, you don't necessarily have to follow through on any given process as long as you are moving towards your goal, right? Yeah. You're trying to finish it. Yeah. Which yeah. is why this is so cool because I know, you know, there are some writers, you know, with this debate has been going on for years and years and years, you know, plotters versus pantsers and how, what's the best way to write a book? Do you have to know everything ahead of time? Can you, you know, do a kind of a general outline? Um, and I always fell in the pantser camp until I, started to get myself really in trouble with deadlines doing it that way. So I had to kind of move mm-hmm. more into being a plotter, but I did struggle with the best way to do that or the way that felt the most authentic to me to do that. Um, and I yeah. know a lot of other writers feel that way too, and are, would would love to have an alternate way of thinking about their plots that might help them, you know, get to a better place and get the writing done faster. That's so. awesome. Yeah. This is very cool. So where can people find you? Yeah. So if you want to start kind of dabbling a little bit and if this whole sketchnoting thing sounds kind of interesting to you, you can certainly go over to sketchnote.school and I have a free newsletter. I send out a weekly sketchnoting tip on Saturdays and there's an ebook version um, and information on how to buy a a paperback copy of the beginner's guide to sketchnoting on there. And I have a sketchnote school, if that's something that you really want to dive into and have a little bit more handholding from me. And yeah, if you're interested in, you know, like if you have a conference or something coming up, then you're like, oh, it might be cool to have Ashton come and visualize that for us. Um, I'm at mindseyecreative.ca. So, and my name is pretty unique. So if you just search me, you'll find me on all the socials, I'm sure. <laughs> Very cool. And I'll put links in the show notes to, to everything so people can find you easily. I'm excited for people to check you out. I think this is really cool. And I'm definitely going to dive in a little bit more. And because I feel like for me, this is now a personal challenge. I have to prove something to myself that oh, I can do something artistic. Yes, <laughs> so. absolutely. I love that. I love that so much. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate having you. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me on, Liz. So what did you think about that? Super interesting, right? I just love bringing ideas to this podcast and to writers that might be outside of the usual things on your radar. So I'm hoping you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed talking to her. But let me know, okay? Send me a DM on Instagram or hop over to kateconti.com and send me a message through my website. I would love your feedback. I'd love to know what episodes are resonating with you and what types of guests you want to hear more of. And if you are so inclined, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. All you have to do to subscribe is hit the little arrow button if you're on Apple, and then I'm sure it's just as easy on the other podcast platforms. Um, But as a new podcast, it would really mean the world to me if you did. So thank you, thank you, and thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.